right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Drovetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We've got a loaded show today. Chiefs finished up the draft over the weekend. Um, we've got some KU news, whether it's some, you know, transfers football um some finalists that KU has made for basketball and things we've got our first game of a sizzling 16 matchup in RCST trivia today we've got case of the Monday so uh plenty to get to but right off the bat here talking some Chiefs and you know we talked about some of the first round guys they got on Friday's show Trent McDuffie who figures to come in and be a a real player right away with Legereus Sneed and Rashad Fenton and then George Karloftis who figures to be a real player right on the defensive line and, and adding a pass rush right away. Well, they added a seemingly, I mean, everybody is is exploding about the excitement for this draft over the weekend that the Chiefs had. You go and look at people who give out draft grades, which I think is a little silly because it's like how much can you really know about how these players are going to do? But if you're judging it by the process that they did and and what they attempted to do, what they tried to fill, and based on where guys are ranked based on those preseason or, or pre-draft rankings, they knocked this out of the park. And by all accounts, everybody seems to be giving this team an A. Yeah, I think the only thing that I would have liked to see that uh, they and this wasn't a necessity. Um, I I but I, I mentioned my concerns about um, Orlando Brown. I don't know if he's coming back. They did draft an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. I think I I kind of more see him. Maybe he'll grab that right tackle role. I I see him more more likely taking uh, taking over for Tooney once that contract is up. But they did draft an offensive lineman, so we'll see where it goes. Um, and maybe they are progressing in talks with Orlando Brown. I don't know. I just was kind of worried they weren't, and that's why I would have liked an offensive tackle. Uh, but beyond that, you know, and in, in, in they clearly, we talked about this briefly on air, but then a lot over the weekend, um, how much they, you know, I'm, I'm not saying they just look at pro football focus and just decide everything there, but it's very clear that um, their methods in grading guys seem to match up pretty well with, uh, with pro well. football focus. For instance, so uh, Sky Moore was ranked 22nd on PFF. Uh, Karloftis and McDuffie were both top 12 players in the board. Um, Brian Cook had really good ratings there. Leo Chenal, I think, was the the highest uh, graded linebacker um, on pro football focus. Darian Kennard, the guy you were talking about, the right tackle they got in the fifth round, um, he had... Apparently, he had by far, so Pro Football Focus has been tracking things in college since 2014. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he has by far the most positively graded run block plays in Pro Football Focus history. Really? So, like, they they clearly, I don't know if they subscribe to it or if they, you know, have somebody who's working there who they are getting um, analysis from. For the longest time, NFL teams were, um, they were customers of, I mean, Pro Football Focus regularly bragged about that, that. That there were some uh, teams that that use their that that subscribe to their um, website, 
Um, so I, yeah, I'm certain they they it just it matches it all matches up too well for me for for me to act like they don't pay attention to it at all. I think they clearly do. Um, but I I think they you know the chance that they took was trading back, and that I love that worked out for them and give credit for them because I think they knew that I think they did their research and felt good about it was trading back in the second round and still yeah, they being go from able 50 to 54 and still to being able to take sky Moore, and then they and got that extra pick four, which was darian Kennard. yeah right? grabbing a, was a fourth or a fifth i think it was a fifth it was so, like a middle fifth from yeah, the Patriots. so you yeah. grab that extra pick in the process and the guy that you actually want being sky Moore, is still there yeah um i really now it's possible they had i, I don't know who actually went between 50 and 54 I don't know if another George Pickens went to the the Steelers, so that'll that be wide, one that, is that a wide wide receiver. Yep, uh, the Patriots the took so, a receiver at fifty. Tyquan Thornton, who's a speed guy. So I mean, we're gonna have if, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have the comparisons, yeah. right? And so it, I think it's very possible, maybe that they um, that they played like they, they said. Okay, we we now maybe look, maybe they had Sky Moore way higher than all these guys, and, and that's possible. But I also think it's possible that they had like a group of about four or five receivers. That they that they thought were pretty equal, mm-hmm. and thought, all right, we're we're at least going to get one of these guys. Yeah, and um, the Steelers have had a fantastic track record of drafting receivers. So if George Pickens ends up turning into a star, yeah, that is going to be looked back on. And and if Sky Moore's just like a solid slot receiver, like a good player but not great, like yeah, that is going to be uh, looked back upon. But it's hard for me not to love that move right when they made it because, like you said, you move back, you still got a receiver who should really help you, um, who should help you for years to come. I mean, he's. He's speedy. He runs great routes. He's great in the slot, and he has huge hands. Um, those are all things that should help this offense. It gives me some hope, and I could still turn out to be way wrong on this, but it gives me some hope that they're not going to fall for whatever Hardman does in his contract year. Yes, correct. And, and now that's the other thing. Like, even it's not just that Hardman's in his contract year. Juju Smith Schuster was a one year contract. Year, yeah. Like, you need guys for next year as yep. well. And I think Sky Moore, um, like, he'll impact things this year. But there's still a lot of good receivers out there that I think here's bigger year. You would hope that this year is, you know, I, you don't expect him to be Tyreek Hill. But if you remember Tyreek Hill as a rookie was, hey, he's returning punts. He's doing really good as a specialist. He's catching some passes, the occasional deep ball. I think he ended up with 800, 900 receiving yards. I'm not saying that's necessarily how much you hope for for Sky Moore. If he gives you 600, 700 receiving yards I as a rookie, that. and then all of a sudden his second year, he's a 1,000-yard receiver. Like mm-hmm. that, That's a great progression that, that you could hope to be on. So you love that move. Then you get Brian Cook later in the second round, which he's a safety. And um, by all accounts, seemed to be one of those hard-hitting, um, you know, not going to let anything be completed easily. He's going to let you feel it type of safeties. And I think that you're clearly seeing a couple things with those two second-round picks for the Chiefs. In the case of Sky Moore, I think what you're seeing is the Chiefs almost feel like last year they became almost too one-dimensional with their passing offense where everybody thinks we're going to throw these deep balls at Tyreek Hill and hit these big plays, and now teams are taking that away, and what are we going to do to adjust? And they found some adjustments over the course of the season, but I don't know if they were consistent enough into what they wanted. Well, they go out in the offseason now. Juju Smith-Schuster's an intermediate and short route receiver. Um, Sky Moore, again, slot receiver. Like, that's your intermediate and short route guy. You still have the long ball guy with Marquez Valdez-Scantling and and McCole Hardman downfield, but that adds to that ability to kind of play the underneath check down game. Brian Cook adds to the ability of, hey, we get rid of Tyron Matthew, and as good as Tyron Matthew could be for the team, it, it didn't allow us to play. 
you know, we, we couldn't play two safeties in basically and just say they're both safeties mm-hmm. and they're going to be asked to do the same things and we're going to mix and match. One of them's in coverage, one of them's in the box. You couldn't do that because they, they were different safeties. Tyron Matthew was a free safety and whoever else you had was a strong safety. But now that you have, you go out there and, and sign Eric Reed. you have Juan Thornhill, this guy Brian Cook, all three of those guys are kind of your safeties who are like in that 6'1", 6'2", range, athletic, can come up and hit you. All of them are guys that you can play in the free safety role or the strong safety role, and I think that speaks to what the Chiefs want to do defensively and mix and matching different looks that maybe they couldn't really do last year. And I, I'll add that. I think somebody else that helps the uh, safeties a great deal is McDuffie. Yeah. Um, I think if he turns into a cornerback that nobody wants to throw to his side or to his man, um, that makes life so much easier for the rest of the safeties. Um, the advantage that Tyron Matthew brought, and you can you – know, it. I, like, you do need a guy. The biggest thing you need to replace with, with Tyron Matthew, aside from the leadership, is um, um, a guy who can play. If, he, if you say, if, if you've got to say, okay, you're a safety, but on this one, we need to play, on this package, you need to play, come up and play corner. You know, I, I don't know that one of these guys, I'm not saying they don't have it, but I'm just saying one of those guys needs to become that. Yeah. Thornhill might. I, you know, he could very well. Um, but that, you know, I, I think, um, Really, the whole the secondary it, it every pick seemed to help every every other piece of the secondary, and really, I think that's the case for the linebacker too. You even had um, uh, Leo Chanel. Yeah, Leo. He's and, a and, third round um, pick. I don't know if it's Chanel. I think it's uh, Channel. I don't know. Okay, I heard somebody call him Chanel. Anyway, but him. Um, I think it was Veach saying that that now this gives um, Willie Gay an opportunity to go play his more natural linebacker spot, and I can't remember if that was the Will or the Mike. It was the Will. The Will, will. yeah. So, yeah th- so he's saying this gives him a chance to go back and play the weak side linebacker, which is his more natural linebacker spot. Yeah, I think what they, they said— It seems like not only do they fill needs— It helped other they people, he- right? Exactly. They helped other people in that same position. Yeah, so you put Willie Gay there. Um, they said that, you know— Chanel could be in line for, you know, kind of rotating in between strong side and, and Mike. I think Nick Bolton would be your starting Mike. And then yeah, Jermaine yeah, Carter. He'll, he'll, who ra- he'll wear the green dot. Yeah, Jermaine Carter who had over 100 tackles with the Panthers. Didn't grade well at all with uh, pro football focus, but uh, was a good special teams player with Carolina. Like, it, it's probably between Chanel and him for that other linebacking spot. And Chanel's an interesting guy because he was, he was the Big Ten linebacker of the year um, and – he put up amazing production. Like that's one thing that I've noticed with with all their picks here. It's not just the pro football focus thing. There are two things that that I found to be very interesting. And maybe George Karloftis doesn't apply to this one as much because you know he's a good athlete, but he's not like this crazy athlete. But a lot of their picks, at least maybe you would say from the second round on, are two things. You had a lot of production in college, and you tested un- or you had unbelievable like athletic testing scores because Leo Chenal. In that, um, it, it, the RAS, it's like the athletic testing system, and it looks at all your different testing scores. Your 40-yard yeah. dash, your your cuddle, or not cuddle, shuttle yeah. uh, drill, your, your three-cone drill, your bench press, all these things. And it, it looks at them and it compares them and, and puts you in a percentile to your position. And it goes back to like the late 1980s from when they've had these, these percentiles. Leo Chenal is in like the, I, I think there's only three linebackers Ever. that have been better than him all than time him. since 1980-whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, unbelievable athlete there. Now, it's funny because he's he's had trouble and, and hasn't had like great grades in terms of pass coverage as a linebacker, unbelievable grades as a run blocker or, or as a run stopper, but when you see those athletic scoring charts, it, it makes you think, are we sure he's he's 
like you know struggles in pass coverage, or is this just a thing of like a scheme at Wisconsin that wasn't working? That wasn't working because athletically, there's no reason he shouldn't be a good pass That's coverage a good linebacker. Point. I mean, yeah, who are they? I guess the question is, who are they asking him to cover mm-hmm. at at Wisconsin? Um, but yeah, that's um, or it could just be something so simple as he he didn't ever learn it. So yeah. you know the the proper technique, he, you know he's got the athleticism to do it, but he just never learned the proper technique. I go back different position, but Tyreek Hill, one of the things that helped him a lot was he learned from other great receivers. He learned what their prep is like. He learned what their off season training is like. He learned the the very the the fundamentals and and the little things and the technique of being a wide receiver, and that's what converted a freak athlete into an all-time great receiver. And and this Leo Chanel guy appears to be, you know, he's not Tyreek Hill athletic, but compared to other linebackers, right. he's a freak athlete. Um, so there's no reason to think that at least athletically he can't, if he is is taught and is willing to learn technique, he couldn't become a really good pass uh, pass. Um, uh, coverage. coverage guy, yeah, and I think that was kind of a knock on the Chiefs' defense last year. They weren't athletic enough, and yeah, now you do have you know a lot invested in the linebacking core, two second round picks and a third round pick. But if they end up being a good linebacking core, nobody's going to care, and and that's great. And like I said, I think you've added a lot of athleticism. You've added in all those first two day picks. I mean, I look at all those guys, not all of them are going to start, but I view all of them as playing a significant role. I think Trent McDuffie could start right away. George Kaloftis could start right away. Sky Moore could start right away for you in the slot. Brian Cook, I don't think he's going to start right away, but if he's your third safety, he's going to get on the field a lot. Um, Leo Chenal, if he's your your first linebacker off the bench and he's also going to be a special teams guy, like yeah. he's going to play a lot. Um, so those were all, I think, fantastic. And then you get into day three. Fourth round pick. They take this guy Joshua Williams, who is from Fayetteville State. I had never heard of this college before. It is a to be clear, it's in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Yeah, I was thinking Ar- Fayetteville, Arkansas. Yeah, not right? Arkansas. Um, it is an HBCU, and uh, apparently he's the first player from historically black colleges and universities to be drafted since 2020. So cool story there. And not only did so in the fourth round, which is pretty darn good. Um, and so, obviously, like I said, uh, the Chiefs need more corners uh, with depth there. You're going to play a lot of corners every game. I think it's another, t- you know, another guy that, in, in the immediate, is probably going to affect special teams. Yeah, and this is a guy that, I, I mean, uh, your day three picks, it's not surprising if any of them don't make the roster, but they're also guys that could fill the, the depth. And also, this is the type of guy that, like, this is one of those home run swings to me. He's a six-foot-three corner who ran, like, a 4-4. Four, four. You don't see those guys very often, right? Yeah. And so if he if he the only reason he was a fourth round pick is because he was at a small school, but he had those athletic testing numbers with that size. Yeah. And we've seen like this is, you know, like I said, with the the Steelers taking George Pickens, there are certain positions that when teams take, you go, Oh, he's probably gonna there be good. There must be something right? too. And, yeah, and cornerback under Brett Veach, cornerbacks become Especially one of those late positions. round yeah. cornerbacks with Steve yeah. Spagnola and Brett Veach. So when I see this guy at six foot three, running a four four forty, being a fourth round pick, I can't help but think, oh, you're going to be the next Traverius Ward, yeah. Legarius Sneed. That's yeah, that's a good point. Um, was it uh, the game? I think that the game that the Legarius Sneed, who is this guy, game was mm-hmm. actually the, the. Did he get drafted after the Super Bowl? Because the game that I really remember him, if I'm remembering right, was um, the uh, the game against the Texans in. Um, to start the season, start the year, yeah. So yes. that would have been his rookie year. And that was kind of—I just his remember it, he had a couple, and we were like, "Who the hell is this kid?" 
Yeah, because he was a, I want to say like sixth round pick. I've got it right here. He was, okay, no, he was a fourth round pick. He was picked 138 in the draft. And this kid was picked 135. Okay. So similar. Yeah. To your point. And Legereus Sneed is, you know, he's not like a pro bowl or anything, um, which but, maybe he could develop but, into that because yeah, he's still only his third year. But Sneed, like, he's a very solid starter. He's not, he's not, you don't want him as a number one corner. But if you're in a good, good spot depth-wise if you have a dude like that as your third corner. Yeah, exactly. So I love that. And then the fifth round, you mentioned Darian Kennard, the offensive tackle they take. He's a guy who there's talk about because he's 6'5", like I said, unbelievable run blocker. He graded really well in college as a pass blocker. Yeah. But I think maybe due to size or measurables or athletic testing, maybe he's not expected to be as good of a pass blocker in the pros, but still a good run mauler, which, again, that's interesting because – you know, we've talked about this last year with all the Chiefs offensive line. Like, their offensive line is built to be a run-mauling team. Yeah. And you add him, like, it makes me just think, are they going to, like, start to transition this a little more and be closer to a, you know, 55-45 split between pass and run as opposed to, like, 60-40? I, I, I don't know. I don't think it ever gets I don't think high, so either. No. It's just kind of interesting. But Kennard is, is kind of similar to Trey Smith, who they took last year, who was the guy who was supposed to go in the second to third round just based on production and talent. But then there was something, you know, whether it was medicals or whatever that caused him to drop to the sixth round. But he comes in and he starts right away as a rookie. Like that, that could be Darian Kennard. He could come in right away, start at right tackle, or be your first tackle off the bench and mm-hmm. be a backup guard if that's what he projects to be. Well, that I mean, or or if I mean, if this puts you in a position where this guy and you don't just do it for the sake of doing it, but if he clearly plays himself above, is is Wiley still on this roster? Yes, he is. So that's Wiley, my, my thought him, is. If, I don't know what the deal with Lucas Niang is with his injury. I think yeah, they are, they they sound optimistic. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, so let's let's leave him out because actually he's athletic. He's supposed to be really good. Mm-hmm. But if he if if Niang, we'll see about him. He's bonus in my mind. Um, but let's say this this kid Kennard plays himself into a, into position. Not 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 like okay, he's here, so we're gonna give him, you know, the right tackle spot. Let's say he forces the Chiefs' hand. He is good enough, clearly good enough to be the starting right tackle. That the the dynamic of the offensive line changes so much. It was already good. It was already fine last year. I think Orlando Brown could stand to improve. He's not awful, but he could stand to improve his pass blocking skills. But he spent so much time with the Ravens. I'm open to the idea that he will improve on that with time. Um, but as good as the offensive line was last year, if you can put yourself in a position where Andrew Wiley is your sixth offensive lineman and you don't have to start spot. him. That changes the dynamic and of your Niang's offensive line. Lucas Niang's your seventh. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That that changes the dynamic of your offensive line so much. Because you're going to play more guys. Like guys just and get do, injured, right? Dudes, especially on the offensive yeah. line, you have to plan for injuries on the offensive line. Yeah. So that could be that. I mean, again, like phenomenal pick. Um, and then like just think back to who was the kid from Florida? Cam Irving. Yes. They kept getting Patrick Florida Mahomes. State. Yeah. Toe stepped on. <laughs> yeah. Like think of how far they've come from there. Yeah. Now it's pretty good. And, yeah, Kennard was the guy who a lot of people thought could be, like, a third-round pick. Ends up falling to the fifth round. By the way, uh, Darren Kennard's hands, it was the biggest in the draft, 11 and a quarter inches. Like one of them spiders you see so in his, Australia. Yeah, his hand from tip of the pinky to tip of the thumb is basically a ruler. Like, think about that <laughs> in protecting your quarterback. That's, that's what you want to see, right? Yeah, that's that's impressive. That's uh, You ever gotten a Willie Rofe handshake? No. It's got to be like that. I wonder how big his hands are. Um, anyway, uh, the Chiefs ended up using, because they had four seventh-round picks, 
Um, ten and a quarter sounds familiar, but I don't know that for sure. Ten and a, ten that's and a crazy. Half. If it was ten and a half and his are even bigger, yeah. His okay. I'm looking. Willie Rofe was ten and three quarters. Ten and three. So quarters. this guy has half an inch bigger hands than Willie freaking Rofe. Was the largest, was like, yeah, exactly. The largest human being I've ever met in my life. Exactly. So um, they used one of their sevens to move up to get him because he was still available. So they ended up with three sevens, which and essentially Beach, are. And we'll hear from Veach later in the yeah. show, but he, he said... It's like jumping the line on undrafted exactly. guys, he, right? He said at that point, you're just trying to, to beat beat teams undrafted. He, he basically admitted, you know, like a seventh rounder is not going to get you much in terms of, you know, trying to move up in the draft. Like, you're not getting... A seventh rounder no. is not worth anything. It's like um, three picks that up in the fifth round. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, they're in a... Um, I think they're in a fine spot, and, and that was a smart trade-up. Yeah, so they use that, but uh, as far as the guys they took, Jalen Watson, more corner numbers. You hope something can hit. Again, he uh, is a late-round corner, so that perks my ears up. Uh, At the very, I mean, what if, you know, even if one of these guys turns out to be a really good punt returner? Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, in this one, the, the two that are interesting, they take Nazi Marshall, a or Nazi Johnson, I'm sorry, a, a safety from Marshall. But um, Jalen Watson, just interesting because, like I said, the corner thing, you take late corner, they've had success with those. Isaiah Pacheco, they take him in the seventh round of running back. And it's just interesting to me because of two things. One, um, you heard from Brett Veach headed into the draft that they really liked the late corners or the late running backs in this draft, the seventh round guys, the undrafted guys. So clearly that means they liked this guy enough. He ran like four three six in the 40-yard dash. Didn't have a ton of production at Rutgers, but it's because he didn't have a ton of carries. Had over 500 yards every single year he was there. I'm interested to see what they do with him and uh, how much they like him. But honestly, the, the biggest note for me, seventh round and later, because they got some undrafted guys. Mike Rose was a really good linebacker at Iowa State. Again, yep. he'll probably be a, a long time. I could see him being a long time rotational guy and special teams guy. Um, today, they picked up Justin Ross and the reason this is so interesting Justin Ross was I mean freshman phenom helped lead Clemson to a title as a freshman he was the best receiver on a team with Mike Williams who's starring at maybe not starring but a really good player with the Chargers T Higgins who is starring we with the saw, Bengals Chief fans saw this year yeah he is. Hunter Renfro he is. Uh, was I don't he might have graduated by that point but he was the best receiver on that team he was making unbelievable plays in the championship and then he gets these injuries now he has this like uh, necks or not neck spinal injury that you know that's usually when you hear spinal cord injury yeah, those are things that like oh he, is he done for yeah. life from football right so I don't know what the situation is there but um, clearly has the talent that he would have been he was on the trajectory for being a first round pick and coming into this year he was even projected still to be like a second third rounder then coming in the draft is like oh third or fifth somebody will take a chance on him goes undrafted which probably doesn't speak well to where those medicals are yep. but you take a swing on the guy with an undrafted free agent pickup because if he does hit, if the the medicals do figure themselves out and you are able to get this guy healthy, you might have just nabbed the steal of the undrafted free agency class. Yeah, you might have just taken a you know an undrafted Hall of Famer. I mean, you know that's that's an extreme, obviously, but the the point is the talent is there. Now again, um, you know. The spine, you know, that's not, you would never like just hearing those words. I would say, don't yeah. ever play football again. But again, he's, I'm, you know, he's got doctors. And if it turns out that he can play, um, there's no reason to think that he can't produce just with the talent. Yeah. So this is what happened. It was the spring of 2020 after his freshman year. Did not see a linebacker coming on a slant, got sent to the turf, felt numbness in his arms laying on the field, got a neck stinger. He thought he'd be back soon. They took him in for tests. And within a few days, um, they later found out that he was going to be done for the season. He had to get like a 
Um, this, yeah, he had to get a congenital, I think that's how it's pronounced, congenital fusion in his spine. That doesn't sound great, but if Ow. he gets back healthy, this kid's got all sorts of talent. So great draft class for the Chiefs. Everyone's buzzing about it. Um, we really won't know how good of a draft class it is till we see the guys all play and probably for two, three, four years down the road. But by all accounts, right now, home run from Brett Veach and the staff. And they really need it this year. Ten picks as well to help and out. We with said that. this is the big, this is the biggest non Mahomes draft in Chiefs history. Yeah, I think. absolutely. And, and you had to read the early returns. Are they did a great job? Yep. He's Adam Gravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk. We're gonna play uh, some Brett Veach audio for you later on this hour here on RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. We're back for the sizzling 16 of RCST trivia. This is, uh, you know, it's it's our, what, third week, fourth week, something like that, but you know, in, in layman's term in the NCAA tournament, this is the second week. This is what you uh, strive to make it to. And from here, this is where the uh, real fun begins. We've got one matchup today between our two, I guess, combined lowest seeds remaining. The seeds don't mean much, but 11 seed is Quinton and the 15 seed is Garrett. This out of the East region, the winner of this will move on to the grade eight to take on the winner of either Tyler or... Or Chris and RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kirk Geeser State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, CBD of Lawrence, Homefield Apparel, Pella Windows and Doors, RockChuck.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Hawaiian Bros, our title sponsor, 23rd Street Brewery. You get dine-in, carry-out, and catering all available. You can enjoy the outdoor patio for the warm weather on days that it is warmer. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with their crowlers. So, uh, Garrett, you are kind of the Cinderella story of this event. There's a 14 seed alive in the sizzling 16, um, but you are the lowest seed remaining at a 15. And I think outside of the 14 and 15 seed, funny enough, the lowest seed outside of that is Quinton. So kind of the, the winner of this, I guess, gets to be the official Cinderella story into the grade eight. But, uh, uh, what have you learned so far uh, about yourself along the way here of the RCST trivia? Uh, yeah, I I wasn't really expecting to win my first round or my second round, so um, I'm just happy to make it this far and uh, glad that I didn't trip over my own feet and miss the first question out of the gate in the first round. So, but uh, just taking my time and and kind of looking over some records and tournament trivia and stuff like that, kind of I guess. We've heard your background story growing up in, in Missouri and how that kind of gets you battle-tested for this. Um, where do you live now? I am up in Kearney, Missouri, so just a little bit outside of Kansas City. So you probably don't hear it maybe as much, but uh, certainly still on the, the wrong side of the state line from, from our perspective. Right. Um, <laughs> Quentin, uh, you, like I said, I mean, you're taking on a lower seat here, but you're still uh, kind of a Cinderella story in your own right here. Um, uh, what did you expect from yourself coming into RCST trivia, and have you met those expectations? Um, yeah, I'd say I have. I was really just hoping not to miss something easy and embarrass myself <laughs> and go out in the first round. And uh, I think I've done pretty well. I finally had a good chance to study uh, for this round, so I'm excited. 
Yeah, I don't think uh, you can be disappointed making it this far. I mean, we've only had, over the course of our three years, only three people have made the sizzling 16 all three years. It's it's tough to get here, so uh, uh, revel in that. Quentin, where are you coming from uh, in these recordings? Uh, I live in Johnson City, Kansas, so way out in the southwest corner. All right, well, uh, representing the southwest side of things and Garrett representing the other side. Is that near, like, liberal? Yep, new liberal. Wow. Well, so right now, that man is closer to New Mexico than he is to Missouri. <laughs> Think is, about that. That's crazy to hear. So, all across, this is what we do. We unite people. We unite Jayhawk fans all over the country. All right, let's cue the music here as we get into the action. This sizzling 16 matchup. And uh, you guys have already collected a $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. Two of them, actually. Um, a $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence. $10 to Hawaiian Bros. And a voucher for free sandwich and breakfast sandwich to McDonald's in Lawrence. If you advance again, more prizes. We'll get to those after this matchup we're going to start in the easy round of questions and garrett you are the lower seeds so you have the option would you rather go first or go second going first it's treated me well so far so i'll, I'll go ahead and go first again all right garrett nice back up first name a school kansas has played in a national championship game i'll just go with north carolina yep that was the most recent one, but also they played Carolina in, what, 1957? Am I missing another one in there? I think that's right. Okay, Quentin, question two for you. Name a school Kansas has played in a Final Four game. In a Final Four game? Yep. I'll also go North Carolina. Yeah, that's right. I was just about well, I was just about to jump in and go, yeah, and all, after um, after uh, Garrett answered that first question, I said, yes, and Kansas has also played North Carolina in a couple Final Four games, and then I noticed glad you didn't. what the next question was going to be. Glad you did not. But, yeah, Carolina, they played them in the Final Four in, uh, I think, it was 91, 93. 91 and 93. They went 1-1, one and one, and they, of course, beat them in 08. We all know. Yeah, that one, too. How could you forget that one? Okay, on to the medium round of questions. Back to you, Garrett. What's the furthest that Clyde Lavellet ever made it in the NCAA tournament? He won an NCAA championship. Yes, he did. Absolute stud. Won a Final Four MOP. 1952 title. All right, Quentin, what's the furthest that Wilt Chamberlain ever made it in the NCAA tournament? Uh, he made it to the national championship game when they lost. Yep. Oh. Oh. Hold on. Sorry, no, that's the correct Jeez. answer. I <laughs> Jeez, oh, I heard the word lost. I don't know. That's my fault. I heard the word lost and hit the buzz. No, I'm man. not even. That wasn't Giving even. These a, guys a heart attack. No, that wasn't even a tip oh, to be man. funny. I just totally <laughs> screwed up. <laughs> I'm right. sorry about that. That was well, the correct good. answer. All right, you're still alive. You're Matchup's good. still gone. Matchup's still gone. Yes, he made it to the title game and lost in triple overtime to Carolina. All right, we're going to change up the music, the mood. This is where grade eights are made in the hard and really hard round. Garrett, back to you. Danny Manning has played more minutes than any KU player. What guard is second on that list? I'm going to go with, I'm just going to have to throw something out there. I'll say uh, Kirk Heinrich. Not a bad guess. The correct answer is Devontae Graham. Oh, okay. Okay, on to you, Quentin. To finish his career in second on that all-time minutes list, who did Devontae Graham move ahead of that now sits in third place on the all-time KU minutes list? Another guard. What's his name? 
Bono Valentine. Again, not a bad guess because he was a uh, four-year player. It's Frank Mason. Frank Mason and Devontae Graham sitting in the uh, top three for minutes played. I think it helps with the extra games. Well, that's the thing is is they play so many more games now, but Danny Manning still. I know. Unbelievable. Okay, uh, back to you, Garrett. We're going to stick around in the hard round. Kansas played eight players in the 2008 National Championship game. Who was the only starter that did not commit a turnover? Darnell Jackson. Nailed it, Darnell. The correct answer there. All right, Quentin, for you to stay alive. Of the three bench players who played in that 2008 National Championship game for KU, who was the only KU bench player to not commit a turnover? Go with Sasha Khan. Had the right idea. It was the other center off the bench, Cole Aldridge. Cole Aldridge did not commit a turnover in limited bench minutes in the NCAA title game. So it ends there, and the battle of two Cinderella stories goes to Garrett Nice. He's moving on to the grade eight. So, uh, Garrett, take me through the thought process there of, of what arrived you to the answer of Darnell Jackson. Uh, it, it was kind of a guess. I figured, you know, uh, uh, Russell Robinson and, and – Chalmers and Rush probably handled the ball too much to not have any turnovers. Um, so I, was, I just kind of went with an educated guess, but I did not know that for sure. And I did not know. Uh, I, I also would have guessed Sasha Khan on, on Quentin's uh, question as well. Yeah, Quentin, looking back, um, you know, is that one that Cole Aldridge, after I said it, it, it made a lot of sense? Or is that one that you just, you know, it just happened that way? Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same way. I was kind of between Khan and Aldridge is big man, not handling the ball as much, and just kind of picked the wrong one. So, yeah, unfortunate end, and and sometimes questions just don't go your way. But heck of a run for you again. You, I don't think you're gonna be mad making it to the sizzling sixteen or nope. yourself a a lot of prizes. Garrett for making it to the grade eight, you get a voucher for a free VIP car wash at Mister D's Auto Wash. Mister D's located at thirteen hundred West Sixth Street, home field apparel gear thanks to Pello Windows and Doors. You can be wearing. That nice new home field uh, gear for KU, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis with comfortable, officially licensed apparel. They have all sorts of new gear. And, uh, Quentin, you can use this code as well, the code Talk, all one word, for 15% off your first order to home field apparel. And that thanks to Pella, who can handle all windows and doors need from turnkey replacement to new construction and commercial applications a $30 credit to Jayhawk NFTs at rockchalk.io so you can get your NFT on um, where you can get your great KU collection of uh, you know whatever they have going on there with players, coaches, all sorts of new stuff. Another $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery because every round you advance you get another one and you get auto entrance into RCST Trivia 2023 Uh, so that's exciting stuff right there. Garrett congratulations you're moving on. Quentin I know uh, anytime you fall short, it's going to be uh, going to be tough, and you're going to remember that question. I know next year when we have you on, we're going to say, what'd you go out on? You're going to remember it. It's going to stick in your craw, cool. but uh, good first run for you in trivia. Thank you. So a lot of cool prizes to be given away. Yeah, that's a, that's a big uh, – that, that IO one is, is kind of the, the – rocktalk.io with those NFTs, that's pretty cool. Uh, we'll see how they turn out. You know, we've already told the story of uh, – you know, one making somebody quite a bit of money. 
um, with with kind of an exclusive one. So I, uh, yeah, not my best performance either. <laughs> That's all right. So sometimes the referees, even. Yeah. You know what? I have more sympathy. An, an, I have more adherent whistle. I have more. Yeah, I have more sympathy for referees. Now. <laughs> there we go. Well, uh, our first grade eight member is Garrett Nice, and he's the lowest seed remaining, 15 seed. St. Peter's. Yeah, that's what we said. But like I said last week, if Garrett wins another game and he goes to the Phenomenal Four, we're no longer going to say he's the St. Peter's. We're going to say every Cinderella is the Garrett. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's what he has he, going He's for made him. it further, yeah. Yeah, he has. So, uh, once again, everybody makes the grade eight. You get a voucher for free VIP car wash at Mr. D's Auto Wash. Home field apparel gear, thanks to Pellow Doors and Windows. Use that code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for fifteen percent off on your first order. Thirty dollars of credit to Jayhawk NFTs at RockChalk.io. Twenty-five dollar gift card to Twenty Third Street Brewery and auto entrance into RCST Trivia Twenty Twenty Three. So, uh, with that first matchup in the books, um, with the bracket the way it is, uh, would you care to make updated phenomenal four picks? Okay, so I'm still I'm going. That that sizzling sixteen in the West is going to be fun, but I'm mm-hmm. still going Doug Crumpton Murray. Yep, um, I'm in agreement with what you. What was the one he had? I can't. I don't have the For sheet Doug? in front of me. He had another question. Oh, it was the Dwight Colby one where he yeah. took a couple seconds, and we thought, oh, we finally got him on one, and he just <laughs> it. It. it was what what number did Dwight Colby wear? And he it took him maybe ten or twelve seconds, but he we thought, oh, we've got him, and then and then of course, um, I'm going to go with Eric out of the Midwest. Um, just steady. Yeah, that's kind of. I uh, I don't love it. Nobody loves it, but there's a certain enemy that I think I'm gonna have to pick. Oh no! Um, and uh, former uh, host of this show. Um, and then I, I don't know that now. Nick's out of the east, right? Uh, Nick Schwert. Yeah, he's in the south. So Nick Schwert would be okay, in the top so, right. Yeah, so Eric I'm would be top left. Doug would be bottom left. So you need to go bottom right. Bottom right. If you go with Garrett, I mean, he's the closest one to doing it. You only need one more win out of him. That's true, and he's going to go up. Who's that? Either Tyler or Chris. Oh, yeah, Tyler Feist. Yeah. I don't know. Tyler's kind of humming. I like him to go out of there. That's a tricky matchup with Chris Searcheck, though. So, um, yeah, I, I'm going to go. I don't know. I, I, I'm feeling Kyle Martin. He's He's uh, got kind of the chip on his shoulders. But I do worry if Kyle beats Andrew like, is that going to create a letdown situation for the, the grade eight after that? So maybe I'll go Eric out of that. Um, I can't pick Nick Schwartz. So I'm going to go Justin <laughs> Nichols out of that one. I'll go Tyler Feist. And then, yeah, I'll go uh, Doug Crumpton Murray from there. By the way, on our uh, Twitter account over the weekend, we released some just stats from trivia over the course of history. Um, we released top 10 most answers or, or correct answers. Um, we have four, five, six, I think six people who are still alive in the tournament who are in the top 10 of all time that can keep moving up that board. Chris Yurchak. Uh, what's amazing, Tyler Feist is third on this list. He wasn't in this the first year. He already has 43 correct answers. This is only his second year in this. That That's is amazing. pretty remarkable. Um, Eric Hansey, though, this will be something to watch out for. Eric against Ryan Goodwin in the sizzling 16, not just a chance to, to make it to the grade eight. If he answers three trivia questions correctly, he moves into first all time for most correct answers. So that's like a big deal on its own. It's kind of like, you know, Kansas surpassed Kentucky for yeah. most wins. If we just go by most wins individual matchup, Eric is already first there. Um, then you go to Isaac, then let me, Tate. Let me ask you this. I think I already know the answer to your question because you mm-hmm. picked your, your phenomenal four a couple minutes ago. 
But let me ask you this. If if I had to give you a bet, let's say I gave you two to one odds. Okay. Would you bet that a Ryan makes it to the phenomenal four? <laughs> well, you're guaranteed, you're guaranteed one Ryan in, in the great, in the eight, great right? eight. And there's a chance that you could get to if Goodwin upsets Hansy. Yes. I don't think I would take it though. But two to one odds, that's actually not bad. Yeah. I just I Doug is a buzzsaw. And if Doug He's does so lose good. in the sizzling sixteen, like Aaron Mayer is yeah, that's a buzzsaw in his would, own right. Exactly. You know? He would he, the, whoever Doug is a buzzsaw, but whoever takes him out will also be extremely impressive because it's gonna take a lot. Yeah, I don't think I would, but like, I, I can't I can't foresee me. Doug losing in any round before in terms of the categories. I can't see him losing in any category other than the really hard. Yeah. But I mean Again, I, I mentioned this maybe stat. There's just, only, yeah, maybe there's one. Only three people have made the sizzling 16 all three years. It's Eric Hansey, Kyle Martin, and Ryan Schlesner. So maybe that that would be a good it bet could be, with yeah. picking one of the Ryans, right? He made the grade eight last year. Uh, I think he made the – yeah, he made the sizzling 16 year one, grade eight last year. So, so he's I mean, stepping, natural yeah. progression would be yeah. making that's, the final That's, four, that's like four. a good – back in the day, a good recruiting class back when they stayed four years. Yeah, slowly progressed. Yeah, exactly. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That is uh, our only trivia matchup of the day. We'll have a couple more coming at you tomorrow here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kirk Geeser State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, CBD of Lawrence, Homefield Apparel, Pella Windows and Doors, RockTruck.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Wine Bros. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear. Plus, they re look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code Talk. That's Talk all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend long bender? Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. And I don't you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well. Does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right. Back for Case of the Mondays here on your Monday. Normally 405 because of trivia. We move it up a little bit today. And uh, we've got some other stuff to get to today. KU basketball news, some transfer news as well. Kind of tied in those two. But, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and cue it right now with our Case of the Mondays here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. The first thing up. The transfer portal. The transfer portal is having a case in the Mondays because, they, and it maybe is having the ultimate case in the Mondays. Doesn't mean that people aren't going to still transfer and still entering and, you know, picking other schools and stuff. But the transfer portal itself is suffering a case of the Mondays because it is basically having a uh, sobering up moment today because after weeks, after days, after months of constant action, 
the people entering the transfer portal. Yeah. Essentially, this has been a months-long bender. Yeah. Party's over. It, it, party's over. The deadline to enter and still be eligible was May 1st. So the number of people who are going to be entering is going to go way down. I mean, imagine. I guess zero, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, they could still enter. They'll still enter, and they could still transfer and try to get a waiver. or Oh, but to transfer. And, and be and, eligible yeah. right away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, because you can sit out good, or get okay, a waiver, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, which okay. there has been some word that or, or rumors that they don't know, like how strict the NCAA is going to be about the whole waiver system and that they might just be handing out waivers what if like Mark, their candy. Yeah, what if Mark Emmert just totally loses his mind? And he's like, whatever. He just, tries to blow up the sport. You ungrateful SOBs, just do whatever you want. Yeah. I tried to help. You now he comes out now and he does a full heel turn and he's like, you know what? We should be paying the players from the a schools. A million dollars a year. Per player. Every sport should get paid. Like, that would be actually very, very funny. Um, but yeah, so I guess now the I cool gave part you of the best years of my life. What I don't understand is why they have this deadline on May 1st and not June 1st or something like that because um, obviously. You know, June 1st is the NBA draft um, deadline to come yeah. back or not, right? So, part of the issue with doing this on May 1st is that a lot of these guys might, like, I don't know, if you're in a situation where you're a player and you're going, I'm going to be the starter next year if this guy goes pro into the NBA draft, but if he comes back, I'm not going to play much. You're making your decision without fully knowing, and That's that kind of stinks. Like, I've, I've got to think. They should line up. I wonder if it's related. I agree, but I wonder if it's related to when coaches, because there's a period in there where can't, coaches can't contact high school recruits. So I wonder if it has to do with, like, I wonder if I don't know if you get if you say let's say it's a week, let's say that becomes June first for the NBA deadline. So let's say you give transfers till June eighth. I don't know if by then coaches are already talking to um, high school kids. But I, again, if they do, that's part of the job, and, and you get paid a lot, so deal with the inconvenience if you're a coach. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, that there needs to be probably about a week. You know, June 8th, I think, is a good number. A week after everyone's, you know, who's coming back and who's staying in the draft. Yeah, and I get it. It would make it even tougher for college basketball head coaches because that's even later in the game that you have to worry about organizing your roster. But, again, like, you're getting paid it's, millions it's and millions of dollars, yeah. right? It's, it, it is the job, and... At least there's a deadline. Like last year and in, in years past, there wasn't any deadline. So, like, it could just be June or July. Like, that would still be a deadline. Um, I think that would be nice. But nonetheless, uh, that does give us a clearer picture now of what's going to happen, um, that the deadline has passed. And just to be clear, um, I know Michael Swain of, of 24-7 Sports, who I hope he's enjoying his uh, trip in London, um, pointed this out, but that even though the deadline was – you know, at midnight or whatever, there's still a rule that um, some of these transfers, like some guys could have, have put their name in the portal by the deadline, but it takes 48 hours in some circumstances to process. So really, we won't know for sure if a guy is or isn't in the, the portal by the deadline until probably tomorrow. Do they still, do they do that by fax like they do their letters of intent? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know with the portal. That's, that's always, you know, that's kind of becoming like a dad joke. Like we saw it on the Dr. Pepper commercial. Like, what is the portal? And he actually walks oh, into like, yeah, the portal. Oh, yeah, real portal, you yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. But we should start getting a more clear picture of, like, who teams are bringing on now because now you know who everybody you've lost. And we haven't seen any KU basketball players leave yet, which 
you know, that's that's kind of interesting. That's for shocking, sure. frankly. Yeah. Again, though, who knows? Maybe somebody's in there and we just haven't heard yet and it won't process for uh, a little bit longer. Okay, uh, next up, Case of the Mondays, the Celtics and the Grizzlies. Both those teams lost their first game in the second round yesterday as the second round has started up. And on its own, not a huge deal. It's a seven-game series. You lose the uh, game one. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But what makes it more of a case of the Mondays, in both of their cases, they lost game one at home. Yep. And so home field or home court advantage goes back to the lower seed. And not only that, you lost game one at home with the other team missing a key player. Uh, the Bucs are without Chris Middleton right now. Draymond Green was tossed in the game against the Grizzlies. You know, n- now you still lose game one. And, and you're talking both these teams in the case of the Grizzlies. Grizzlies were more of a season-long kind of breakthrough of, like, this young team coming together and showing they're really good, whereas the um, Celtics were more of a – they figured things out. They, they ended up having the number one defense in the NBA as the season went on, and they kind of had this breakthrough of, like, being a kind of middling team to all of a sudden, like – could this be a team that wins the finals and now you're down 1-0 losing a home game to a team who is down a player in the second round of the NBA playoffs? You know who uh, Memphis sort of reminds me of? Now, they are a two-seed, so this, uh, this the team I'm going to compare them to was a four-seed. Um, but the 2011 Thunder, where you've got a super, you've got at least that you know of one superstar, that being John Morant, and in the case of 2011 Thunder, you had uh, Kevin Durant. Um that team was a four seed. Now, Memphis, ironically, was an eight, and they upset San Antonio. But that was back, they were a four seed back when San Antonio was running the West and Dallas was running the West and L.A. Lakers with Kobe were running the West. So they were um, they were probably uh, almost as good. They were just a lower seed because the West didn't have as much to offer. Um, but that team made a run to the conference finals, and that, that was and they, they fell short to Dallas, who went on to win the, the NBA World Championship. Uh, but that next year, they broke through. They beat the Lakers. They wound up going to the finals. So 2011 was kind of the year where they showed they're good enough, but then also the playoffs gave them a dose of what it takes. And that might be what happens to Memphis this year, where I think they're good enough to beat uh, Golden State in a seven-game series. But I think Golden State just knows what it takes to win a championship. And this is going to be one of those where if Memphis goes on in the future to win a West Coast or a Western Conference Finals or even to win an NBA World Championship, they're going to look back and say it was that 2022 series against the Warriors that taught us how have, what we have to do to get to that next level. I don't think we've done uh, NBA playoff predictions. Uh, so I know we're already in the second round, so it's probably too late for this. But um, I'm, just, I'm going Warriors-Bucks. You're going Warriors-Bucks? I just don't know with the Chris Middleton injury if they can make it by. I, I do feel like they showed themselves. Again, it's just one game, but you do it on the road and you dominate pretty thoroughly. Now you just take care of home business and you know, you're know you in a good situation there. Um, I just, yeah, I guess it's tough to pick against the Bucks because even though with the Chris Middleton thing, it's like I don't really want to pick the Heat. The um, Sixers are dealing with their own stuff with Joel Embiid being injured, yeah. right? And then I guess I don't know. I was honestly before the series started, I was gonna pick the Celtics to make it out of the East. So now I don't have a clue. But yeah, I'd agree with you with the uh, the Warriors. But uh, the Suns are still so good, man. I know, and I would love that. I that almost kind of makes me think of uh, um, Dirk back at, also back in 2011, like Dirk breaking through and winning his first, you know, getting the finals or um, winning his his first finals. Um, when you thought maybe time had passed him by, CP3 could do that very same thing. I would yeah. love it if the Suns won. I just think the Warriors, 
I'm not sure they have two more in the tank, but I think this. I think they they get through and win another and and kind of seal what is the the remains of the dynasty. Yeah, I'm really interested to see. Um, and I think this was the case for kind of the Bucks and the Celtics. Like you're watching that game and and you're kind of just thinking, you know. Yeah, they don't have Chris Middleton, but Giannis is just that good. Like, Giannis can just carry uh, for a series by himself. He's in that level of player that we saw from LeBron for so many years, yeah. right? And there is a part of me that wonders if we could see that from Luka Doncic in a series, like, against the Suns, where he yeah. just goes inferno. That could, yeah. Makes him pay for not... It's still so weird watching him play because he does not look like a dude that is, like, just no. a freak ass. He, you know who he kind of reminds me of is that Tyson Fury guy. Am I thinking of the right guy? Boxer? But isn't he the no, no. Yeah, isn't Tyson Fury the boxer who lost a bunch of weight? Um, and so now he's a great, great boxer, but he doesn't like have the crazy definition. Yeah, yeah. So huge Does, dude from yeah, uh, England. But doesn't 6'9", have nine two sixty five. But doesn't have the like he's a freak athlete, but doesn't have the freak definition. Correct. That you expect to see out of athletes. Doncic yeah. reminds me of that. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, next case of the Mondays. The Cincinnati Reds, they are just going to be perpetually stuck in a case of the Mondays um, from here through, I guess, the rest of the season because they are already out of the playoffs. I, I feel very safe saying that. Adam, um, I know I know you, you watch the Royals and you pay very much attention to the Royals, but you're not like a huge MLB guy outside of that Correct. overall. I watch the playoffs, I watch the Royals, and then I watch the MLB playoffs. Okay, so the Cincinnati Reds have played 22 games. Take a guess what their record is. Five and seventeen. Three and nineteen. Good God. It is tied for the second worst record since nineteen hundred oh, through twenty two games. That's terrible. Yeah. I mean, they dropped their sixth straight game over the weekend to now sit at three and nineteen. On top of that, Jonathan India, who was a really good young player, one of their best players last year, they placed him on the IL now. So it's they only lost, gonna get worse. So wait, they were three and thirteen and proceeded to yeah. lose six straight. Uh-huh. That... Back in 05, and this is a story very famous with Royals fans, somebody asked uh, Buddy Bell, they were in just the midst of some hideous losing streak, and they'd lost 108 the year before or something, and they were careening towards 109 losses that year. They were awful. Um, but anyway, somebody asked the manager, who at the time was Buddy Bell, said, is, is this rock bottom? Is this as bad as it can get? And I don't know how many losses they'd lost, how many games they'd lost in a row by then. It was like maybe nine or ten. He goes, is this rock bottom? And Buddy Bell goes, no. You never say it's as bad as it can get. It can always get worse. Yeah. That losing streak lasted 19 games. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> That's kind of a quote that has applied for KU football for a while. But yeah. Again, I think they're getting never out of it now. Never say it can't get worse. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you're curious, a 3-19 and start to the season, that puts you on pace over the course of the 162-game season mm -hmm. for 22 wins. I remember. I mean, think about remember that Tigers team in like the early it was aughts. 03, I was just okay. going to bring them up because that was, that was what, the year forty something. The Royals out of nowhere. That was the year that they started like sixteen and three, and they held on. You know, they they finished above five hundred. They finished like they had a huge lead throughout April in the division, starting like sixteen and three, but then fell apart. They still finished with a winning record and finished seven games out of first place. Uh, but yes, that was the year that that Tigers team bottomed out. And I always use them as an example because they won like 43 or 48 games. And three years later, they're in the World Series. Yeah. They were kind of the Astros before the Astros. Yeah. And uh, think, But think about that. You said 43 games. 
They were 40, on pace for half of it that. It was 43 or 48, but regardless, this that this Reds team's on pace for, for less. That's remarkable. And you know what the funny part about all this is? With the new rules they instituted in the CBA, there's like a draft lottery. Yeah, they now. may not They may not get, <laughs> oh, that's bad. So right now they're on pace to be the worst team of all time, and they might not even get the number one pick. That is uh, phenomenal. And, you know, honestly, they deserve it. Like, they... I don't mean this to like Reds fans. You don't no, deserve but their, this. Their Players don't deserve this. The ownership deserves this because the ownership is, yeah, like you said, horrendous. They, they Frankly, can, I feel the same way about uh, about the Bengals. I mean, yeah, I mean, their fans—they have great fans. No, that's but why their, their I, I can't totally awful. buy into the idea that Joe Burrow is going to win like three Super Bowls or something because the no ownership is going to mess think, it up. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So uh, yeah, uh, sucks for them. The last one sticking in baseball for case of the Mondays: Robinson Cano. He missed all of last year. Was suspended due to steroids. Then comes back this year. Although, honestly, the more I think about it, maybe the case of the Mondays of this story here is just work because having to work for money. Because Robinson Cano got DFA'd by the Mets. He was struggling. He was hitting uh, 195 with a 501 OPS and 43 plate appearances. But now that he's getting DFA'd, because now that I say this, he's owed $44 million for the remainder to not play. So working for money is actually case of the Mondays here. I would take so much less money than that to stop working. (laughs) Like I, would take, I would take half that. Oh, half that, yeah, for sure. I, <laughs> I don't think know. I could I, stop working if I only got like a, I, I say only, but a million dollars. No, a million you know? bucks I would still keep working. But um, I don't think I would work full time. I might just, you know, cut it down to part time work. Maybe. I don't know. I'd figure something out. But regardless, I uh, I know that. Two million? I, I know that 44 million is. is 44 is over the retiring. Limit. 10 million retiring. Five. Probably retire. I think no matter what, though, I'd still want something to do. You'd want a hobby. So, like, I might do, like, you know, I, I broadcast for Baker. I'd probably still do that. Like, yeah. it's something fun I can do every now and then. But outside of that, yeah. See ya. I'm Robinson Cano. I'm not even trying to get back into baseball. Take your money and run. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That's your case of the Mondays. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Five o'clock hour. Welcome back to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. You can give us a follow and vote on our daily poll at RCST 1320 on Twitter. This came by kind of as a uh, pretty big surprise yesterday. Kevin McCuller, who um, really solid player for Texas Tech starter. He, uh, I think, missed the first game with KU that was played in, in Lubbock, the Texas Tech beat Kansas in, but he was back for the uh, other two meetings in the Big 12 championship game and the game that was in Lawrence that went to double overtime. And uh, unbelievable defender, fantastic defender. Um, A guy who, you know, hasn't been maybe the most consistent offensive player, like doesn't shoot it great. He shot 31% from three this past season after shooting 28% his first two years. Solid free throw shooter, though. Again, from the field, like not great around the low 40s um, for his career. And really good at everything else, though. He can drive. He can pass over three assists per game. Gets rebounds, 6.3 last year, 4.6 this year. Uh, But what he's most known for, because, again, averages 10 points per game. Fantastic defender. Absolutely fantastic defender. A lot of people thought he could have been the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year for Texas Tech. Um, So phenomenal player on that end. And he is currently testing the draft process and he released this tweet yesterday 
I would like to sincerely thank Red Raider Nation for your unwavering support. I poured my heart and soul into Texas Tech. I am extremely thankful to all the coaches that have reached out and provided an opportunity to join their program. With that being said, playing in the NBA continues to be my dream and my priority. If I decide to return to college, these are my final two. And it has Kansas and Gonzaga with logos there. So this is interesting for several reasons. Um, one, it's funny that like there have been so many like big name Big 12 transfers that have hit the market. I mean, you could basically make a Big 12 all-star team out of the guys that have transferred away. Think about it. With Tyrese Hunter, Kevin McCuller now, who six foot six wing that plays as good of defense as anyone in the country. You know, those don't grow on trees. Um Matthew Meyer announced he was going to transfer today for Baylor. Like he could be an all Big 12 player. Um Nigel Pack, who was an all Big 12 first teamer this past year. Like you could literally make a Big 12 all-star team. And yeah, they would probably still lose to Kansas in the uh Big 12 regular season because that's how it goes. But um it's just kind of funny how that's worked out. And on top of that, with Hunter and McCuller, those are both guys that the KU is very much in on. I mean, KU would just be the ultimate nemesis in the Big 12. They had both those guys, and then both the times you're you're playing those teams on the road, you are getting showered with boos. And uh, Texas Tech fans were, were very unhappy with this happening, by the way. Um, a lot of vitriol spewed to Kevin McCuller on social media, and he actually took to uh, social media after that, I think on his Instagram, and, and talked about how you know it's pretty ridiculous that because think about this, over the last handful of years since Chris Beard has gotten there, one of the things that Texas Tech has done so well to make them this competitive, really good team, they've utilized the transfer market as much as anyone in the nation, and they've done it at a really expert level. They've brought in a lot of great players via the transfer portal. And he kind of brought up, like, so you guys welcome with open arms these guys who transfer in, but as soon as someone wants to transfer out, it's a huge problem. And we're going to see that this isn't probably just a Texas tech thing. Like we're going to see this across the country. We just are. So I guess the first lesson here is just like, just don't be better. If a kid wants to leave, let him leave. Right. And this is interesting too, because the, the Texas tech thing, um, I think we mentioned this on, on Friday or something like that, but with Texas tech, they also had Terrence Shannon jr. Transfer away really athletic wing, good scorer for them. And he apparently wanted to go to Michigan. But to get into Michigan, I guess they have, like, some weird academic things, which this is also weird from, like, Michigan standpoint, that he had to do, that he had to, like, graduate if he wanted to get in there. And so to graduate, he needed, like, six more credit hours or something. But he would need to take the classes during the summer. And so he asked Mark Adams and the Texas Tech, you know, coaching staff, like, if he could stay on through the summer to take those classes, finish up, graduate, so he could grad transfer to Michigan. And Mark Adams in Texas Tech was like, no, which you sort of get to a certain standpoint because it's like, dude, you you said you wanted to leave us. Like, I'm I'm going to let you leave, but um, why should I be helping you? The other side of it is, you know, just be a good human, help a guy out. And it's like, okay, so what? He, you're going to prevent him from going to the school he really wants to go to because you're not going to let him get an education, which I thought was the whole purpose of this college thing, right? So it, it's stupid. And, that stuff will make it around the grapevine. And anyway, Terrence Shannon commits to Illinois. So now this happens with Kevin McCuller. I, I wonder how much this stuff, like, like the more Texas Tech gets in bad news with this type of stuff, like, again, especially with a team that does thrive of bringing guys in with the transfer portal. That can't be good for them in business. That is just straight up bad business for them. But nonetheless, 
Um, this guy would absolutely help KU, Kevin McCuller, at a ton of spots. Like I said, he is an absolute stud defensively. I joked about this last night on Twitter. Uh, when you look at the transfers KU's in on with McCuller and Hunter, obviously we have KJ Adams um, and you have Dewan Harris. I mean, those are the you could have a lineup with Dewan Harris at the one, um, Tyrese Hunter at the two, or whatever, flip-flop those. It doesn't really matter. Kevin McCuller at the three, KJ Adams at the four, and somebody at the five, or you slide KJ to the five and put McCuller at the four and somebody else at the three, whatever, MJ Rice or something. That game is ending 2 nothing. I don't know how much offense is on the floor there. don't know how much, how much shooting and spacing, but it doesn't matter because that is like the greatest defensive lineup that you could have. It's a bunch of switchable guys who get steals, who are pesky, who fight their tails out. Like, that would be unbelievable, um, which makes me kind of think, we don't know if KU is going to land McCuller or Hunter. Maybe they land both. Maybe they land one. Maybe they don't land any. But with KJ Adams and Dwan Harris on the roster and Joe Yesfu can be kind of a pesky uh, solid defender and not as much offensive punch if Christian Brown or Jalen Wilson don't come back and you lose your try. I wonder if next year switches back to a defensive first team. We saw uh, two years ago being more of a defensive-minded team. Then this past year, it was more of an offensive-minded team where the defense came along as the season went on. I've always said you would rather your team be elite offensively and solid defensively than vice versa because the defense can grow as it did during the tournament and as the season goes on, you kind of get more comfortable playing with each other and, you know, being vocal and understanding where everybody needs to be, especially when you're with Bill Self, who is such a fantastic defensive coach. But it doesn't hurt to have the great defense either. And the other thing that that I look at is, you know, I, I don't know, because Kevin McCuller can handle the ball, and Kevin McCuller is more of kind of a, a true wing. But KU could use more wings if you're losing Christian Brown. If they do lose Jalen Wilson, you're losing Ochag Baji. I know you have Grady Dick and MJ Rice coming in, but you could use more wings, especially now that you're basically always going to be playing two wings next to each other at the three and four. And when I look at MJ Rice and Grady Dick, like I think Kevin McCuller might be better suited to play the four than those two guys. I, I don't know a ton about what MJ Rice would bring in, in terms of being a, a small ball four necessarily, but... That would just be my thought. So that was kind of a surprise to see that, but it was certainly interesting. And keep in mind, KU um, does not technically have any scholarship spots open right now. But we've said this before, and we'll say it again. If a good, talented player wants to come to your school, you make it work and you figure out the rest later. So whether that's telling a kid who might not play a ton or is at the end of the rotation, hey, this isn't going to work out for you, or... You know, um, you should probably go somewhere else. That can open up a scholarship. What happens if the kid is just like, no, I'd rather stay here and fight for my spot. Then I don't really know what you do in that situation. Um, or you just, if if a player is going pro. It is interesting to me, though, that, like, in the case of McCuller, and this could be a really good thing for KU, is that he's testing the draft process as well. And so he's kind of in that same situation of he's waiting to see stuff to where like the timeline works out because right now, if KU doesn't have any scholarships and nobody's leaving, if nobody transfers away, it's all just dependent. If Christian Brown ends up staying in the draft, then you have a scholarship. If Jalen Wilson ends up staying in the draft. Then you have another scholarship. And so you'd be on that timeline more than anything. You'd be on the timeline of, well, we need to see, uh, wait and see what they do. So with Kevin McCuller, that works out great that he's doing the draft process. Now, the other guy that's of interest, and this guy popped up on the portal on Friday, 
Um, and I think we mentioned him a little bit. Missouri State transfer guard Isaiah Mosley. He is uh, kind of, it's very different than McCuller, whereas McCuller is just like this defensive stud who isn't the best offensive player, but does have some positives in that he can dribble, he can drive, he can pass, he can attack the rim and stuff a little bit. Um, Isaiah Mosley is more of the, no, I'm a pure scorer. And he did other things too. He averaged 6.2 rebounds per game, almost two and a half assists. But this is a Isaiah Mosley kid. He's he's kind of that 6'4", 6'5", a little skinnier wing, whereas McCuller's more of your 6'6", built guy. Um, uh, he's apparently kind of um, seen a lot of interest from, you know, as you'd imagine, a lot of schools. But some of the schools that he's received the most interest from and that um, would make a lot of sense for him, KU is on the list with, I think, eight other or seven other schools. And he played for Mo Can Elite, same AAU team that Christian Brown and Dewan Harris played for. He played at the same high school as Dewan Harris. I don't know their overlap there. They would have at least overlapped for a couple of years, um, but I don't know if they, you know, started together or were same senior class or whatever, but uh, they went to the same high school. So, like, there are ties there that, who knows, maybe you could bring him uh, along to Kansas in, in that situation, and that would be a huge get. A lot of people are saying he might be the top transfer on the portal. Absolute stud score. He had two 40-point games this season. I mean, if you're losing Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown, if both those go, because again, he's testing the draft waters too. So you're on the same timeline there. We don't have to just say, hey, you're committing this week. So we're just going to take you and then hope that it works out scholarship wise and we don't have to boot someone off. If he's committing after the draft decisions, then you can know, well, who do we have back? Like, sorry, we can't take you. Or yeah, we can only take one of you two. Which one do we want to prioritize? Right. Um, but if you lose both, then it makes sense to bring on both. You get the scoring wing with Mosley. You get the other wing for defense with McCuller. Uh, I saw Baylor Shireman narrowed his list earlier today, the uh, Summit League Player of the Year for South Dakota State. KU wasn't in on it. And I will say this, though. I had been told that KU, if they really pushed for Baylor Shireman, like if they made him a priority and it wasn't just a, hey, we're interested in you, but we have to wait and see what happens with this other guy. Or we're interested in you, but we have to wait and see what happens with this NBA draft decision. If it wasn't that, if it was just a purely, hey, we're really interested in you. Please come to our school. We're offering you a scholarship right now. No strings attached. If that was the case, I think KU would have had as good a shot as anyone in getting him. But the fact that he has narrowed his list and KU is not on it kind of tells me that KU feels good about where they're at with because, again, at most you have two scholarships unless other guys leave via the transfer portal. And they feel pretty good with either the decisions of Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson coming back, or, and it could be a mix of the two, like one comes back and, and you get one out of the transfer portal. They feel good about those decisions between those three guys with Mosley, McCuller, and Tyrese Hunter. You know, if you go out and land two out of three of those, that's a really good haul that you're bringing in. And I do wonder realistically how many you could take because I, kn- I know I said the whole thing about, you know, you take talent and you figure out later. There is a line to that, though, in terms of like there's not a it's not in terms of the, the scholarship thing. That That's a whole different case. But there is a certain line of like, hey, I don't want to bring on this guy who comes out of the transfer portal and is expected to be like an an all conference player. And now all of a sudden he's the ninth man and he's not even in our rotation. Because what you don't want to have happen is have 10 guys 
that should be in your eight-man rotation, but you can only play eight of them. I mean, we know it's going to be a seven- or eight-man rotation when, when it comes down um, to it in March. And you could say that, you know, Jalen Coleman lands being brought on. You weren't expecting, like, that would be a move that you would make, expecting him to be in the eight-man trance. But, like, he was such a good teammate, and he would say so often, like, how this was such a fun year for him, and this was everything he could have imagined, even though he wasn't always, like, a, a huge mainstay necessarily in the rotation. So, from that standpoint, um, you wouldn't just bring on Tyrese Hunter. Like, yes, you would say, hey, we'll take Tyrese Hunter and figure out the scholarships later, but you wouldn't say, hey, we're going to bring on Tyrese Hunter. Oh, no, he's our ninth guy, if that makes sense. So, from that standpoint, as you're kind of going through the roster and trying to figure out, well, who could be possible early looks into that eight-man rotation? Um, Dewan Harris is obviously going to play a lot of minutes. Whoever the second lead guard is for KU is obviously going to play a lot of minutes as well, right? I, I mean, I don't know if it'll be Bobby Pettiford. I don't know if it'll be Joe Yesfu. Um, but whichever one kind of beats out the other, or hypothetically, let's say it's Tyrese Hunter, right, is going to get a lot of playing time. Now, there's even a case to be made that there could be three lead guards that be part of the rotation, but um, we'll get to that in a second. So those, those two spots, Dwan Harris, second lead guard, that's for sure two of your... Let's say it's an eight-man rotation for Bill Self. Again, during the regular season, there are times where you'll see nine or maybe you'll see a tenth guy for like five minutes. But during the big moments of the season, as the season wears down, it's it's going to be down to seven or eight guys. So eight guys. Uh, the two with those. MJ Rice, feel like he'd probably be part of the rotation as kind of a three, four, maybe, man, maybe a little bit of two. Uh, Grady Dick, same thing. Like, you feel like... Uh, you know, both those freshmen are, are going to work out. And I, I know we haven't always seen it work out with, with KU and freshmen. So there's no guarantee that both guys are part of that. But I think that's clearly the expectation as we uh, head into the offseason that both those guys should be part of the rotation to uh, some degree, whether it's as a starter or just playing big minutes or appearing regularly. Like that would be kind of more surprising than not if that wasn't the case. Okay, so you have the, uh, that's four spots taken up. I mean, if, if Christian Brown or Jalen Wilson comes back, like they're going to be part of the rotation, right? Let's let's go under the assumption that Christian's gone and Jalen comes back. Now you're at a fifth guy with Jalen Wilson. And, and I'm not necessarily talking the starting lineup. I'm just kind of going through this here. So now you're at five, and that's without Christian Brown. Um, at the center position, I mean, I can I can give out specific names or we can just say like two guys are going to play. I think that's probably the safer way to do it. So, like, whether you think it'll be Zach Clements and K.J. Adams or Zach Clements and Cam Martin or Zach Clements and Ernest Uday. I mean, I feel I feel like Clements is going to be one of those guys, but um, pretty much the two centers. So, center one and center two. So, between Dwan Harris, the second lead guard, M.J. Rice, Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, center one, center two. You're already at seven guys as part of the rotation. Things are filling up fast, right? Could a third center get in there? I guess maybe if KU's playing like some two big lineups, um, Zuby Edgifer or like KJ Adams, do they count as a five? Do they count as a four? I don't know. Could Kyle Cuff get in there? I don't know. Could that third lead guard get in there? I don't know. But pretty much that, that means you have one spot left in the rotation at that point. And I, I feel like K.J. Adams would maybe be part of it. I think it's probably dependent on the game. It's either a third lead guard or K.J. Adams. That's just where we're standing at right now. Now, if you do bring on one of these transfers, it probably tosses out that other option. It tosses out 
the flex of KJ Adams or the other lead guard, unless KJ is your one of your two centers. Then it tosses out the third lead guard. But there's not a lot of room in there if KU would want to bring on two guys, unless Jalen Wilson also goes. And that's kind of my point with this. I think that KU is in on all three of those guys very much so, Tyrese Hunter, Kevin McCuller, and Isaiah Mosley. But I think when push comes to shove, this is going to come down to a which of those three makes the most sense. Because even if you do come to a situation where you say, hey, Tyrese Hunter wants to come here, and so does Kevin McCuller, part of the issue doesn't just become the scholarships. That's easy to figure out. Like I said, maybe it's you go tell Kyle Cuff, like, hey, you should move on to somewhere else. And then Christian Brown goes pro, and boom, you have your two scholarships open, and that allows you to bring on those guys. But it's more of the issue of then, who's not playing there? You know? Like, because at that point, you have basically between Bobby Pettifer, Joe Yesifu, I don't know, KJ Adams, Zuby Ejiofer, like none of those guys are a part of that main rotation. So I, I kind of am thinking that it would be one more, which does make sense if you're under the assumption that Christian Brown is going to go pro and Jalen Wilson's going to come back, which is kind of how I'm leaning because I think Jalen would love to go pro. I just don't know that it's going to be in the cards for him with what's going to be told by NBA scouts and GMs and, and stuff like that, and then he needs to shoot it a little bit more. Um, but KU has good options there. And the Tyrese Hunter one will be the most interesting to me because with Kevin McCuller and Isaiah Mosley, they are testing the NBA draft waters, so they are on that similar timeline to where, you know, once we get to June 1st or maybe even before then, we'll have known what are you doing, Christian Brown? What are you doing, Jalen Wilson? Are you coming back or are you staying in the draft? And that'll be the same thing with Kevin McCuller and Isaiah Mosley. Are you coming back or are you staying in the draft? And if you're coming back, which school are you transferring to? They're going to operate on similar timelines. Apparently, Tyrese Hunter could be deciding in the next week or two. Now, that's that's not a for sure thing. Maybe he would wait on that as well. Um, I just wonder if... Uh, because, like, if you're Kansas and you lose Jalen Wilson and, and Christian Brown you're going to want to replace that with a wing. So I don't know. It's it's all interesting, the whole very thing. But KU does have really good options out there. If I had to pick what I think, like what I'd want most for KU to, to be the best, I mean, obviously you, you trust Bill Self's judgment, and I trust Bill Self's judgment more than my own. I think I would lean toward Isaiah Mosley the most just because, like, it would be so nice to get more of a scoring punch. And like I said, I, I think you prefer having the a bunch of guys that can score and trying to figure out the defense from there when you have a coach who is so good at coaching defense. Maybe if it was, you know, if you're Fran, uh, Fran McCaffrey at Iowa who consistently has great offenses but horrible defenses, like maybe if you're Fran McCaffrey, you prefer the opposite. You'd prefer defensive guys and you could try to teach them offense. I don't know. Um, but with Bill Self and KU, I think you trust that's happened that I'd probably go him number one, but it is intriguing that you could get Kevin McCuller because of the fact that I think with questions about the four, we're going to talk about KJ Adams here in a little bit. I don't know how many guys you have that you realistically, if Jalen Wilson doesn't come back and even if he does come back, that you have behind him where you're like, unless you're going to play too big basketball playing at the four. And I think Kevin McCuller has the body that he could be able to do that, but he also only has, well, he's played three years. So I, I, I'm assuming that means he has two more years because one of them was the COVID year. 
Would you rather have the three years of Tyrese Hunter or the two years of of uh, Kevin McCuller? I'd take the three years of Tyrese Hunter, but then again, you know, Tyrese Hunter was popping up in first rounds of mock drafts in December this past year, as Kevin Flaherty's kind of brought up a couple times. If Kevin or if if Tyrese Hunter goes out there in his All Big Twelve first team, is he just like going to go pro and then you only get one year out of him? So that that's kind of tough to tell. But I, I think I'd go Mosley number one on that list and. If you know Jalen and Christian are both gone, you go McCuller too. But if you know one of them's back, then I think Tyrese Hunter would be too at that point. But, you know, you get any of those three, you're going to be sitting in, in good shape. You get two of those three, it's going to be a uh, another year where we're going to head into the uh, offseason and into the year going, man, they have too many guys for not enough rotation spots. I guess it was a good thing this past year, but you do get worried a little bit that if you have too many guys, does anyone in the locker room become unhappy? Does that lead to... A fracture in the locker room. Again, they handled it just fine, more than fine, this past year. They won a title. So uh, I guess you you trust it from there. But uh, certainly a lot of talented players interested in KU at the moment. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got more Brett Veach audio to share for you later on in the hour. Also some news from KJ Adams about coming back to Kansas. We'll share that with you on the other side. You're listening to Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Well, KJ Adams seems to officially be back for KU basketball. I know this was kind of a, I don't know, floated around rumor might be uh, one way of putting it, but I don't think it was just like coming from a place of nowhere. Like, I don't mean it like that. Like, I, I think there was, you know, some legs to it for uh, KJ Adams and maybe wanting to enter into the transfer portal because he was a guy who clearly has a lot of talent and, and does a lot of things well. An excellent defender has phenomenal size, speed, athleticism, and length and stuff. Um, didn't get a ton of playing time necessarily, and you could see why a guy would want to you know, maybe go somewhere else. But um, part of the thing, and, and part of this depends as well on what exactly is the future for the position of KJ Adams. Is he a center long-term? Is he a, a four long-term? Is he a wing um, and also, you know, like who's coming back for KU to Christian Brown and Jalen Wilson. Do they eventually decide to come back or what? Like that clearly would impact the playing time of, of KJ Adams. If he is a four Jalen comes back, he's playing most of the minutes there. Right. Um, and if he is a five, like how much is he going to play over even Zach Clements or Unis due There were different points last season where Adams was ahead of Zach Clements at, uh, maybe in the rotation, but I think most of those might've even been when Clements was you know, kind of coming back from injury. So I, I don't know. It, it, it would make some sense if, if he would have decided to transfer. But also, it does seem like more playing time is opening up. And I don't know if necessarily that means a starting spot is opening up because if he is more of a four and, and you're not playing the five, you know, a lot of that is, like I said, going to depend on Jalen Wilson. If Jalen Wilson's gone, though, there is very much a world where KJ Adams could even be a starter. Um, but I think at the very least, you view him as a guy that, you know, should make a sizable impact in, in terms of being in the rotation to a certain extent, what that extent is. I'm, I'm not totally sure it again. He's, he's somebody who's very kind of dependent on those other people and, and what he improves on, right? If he comes out and he's like a solid shooter, if he can just shoot threes in general and he's shooting 30% and teams have to kind of respect him there, or he becomes a guy who is a really good driver. Like Kevin Flaherty's brought this up multiple times on the show that in his high school days and stuff, he was, he was able to put the floor, the ball on the deck and, and get to the rim and finish. And we didn't really see a ton of that. And I think 
it wasn't necessarily because he couldn't do it. I think it was just kind of fitting into what his specific role was supposed to be. Um, but that could be like an avenue for, for more playing time as well. And so it was, it was kind of up in the air whether he would maybe come back or decide to transfer away. And, you know, I said this, I said this earlier. I, I, I was wondering if KU winning the title, how much of an impact that has on guys who maybe aren't to the role of their total liking on the bench in that it makes, like, it, it almost appeases you more. I mean, it makes sense for a couple of reasons, right? If, if you're not playing the role that you want to on a team, and the team isn't doing well, or the team disappoints, or falls shorter than you expected, it's easier to have a a more sour taste in your mouth. But if you're not playing the role you like, and your team goes on to win a title, I mean, first of all, you can't really question like, oh, why am I not playing anymore? Well, they just won a title, you know what I mean? Um, But also, it's a lot more enjoyable if you're sitting on the bench, or if you're not playing as much, to get to go on a fun ride, right? And not, and like, have something fun, and, and be in the celebration and stuff. And and on top of that, also see, like, oh, if I stick around and, and do this here, like, I'm going to get to do this as the guy. You know what I mean? So I think that matters a lot. Um, he tweeted this out on, oh, what was April 30th? I think that would be Saturday. He said it was a picture of him cutting down nets. I believe it was at the uh, after the national championship game. And it says... Dot, 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 excited to defend the title at Kansas, which if he said excited to defend the title, I mean, that that implies what it is, but he put the at Kansas part in all caps, which I think puts to rest two things. One, I think it does show you that, yes, there was like discussion there of should I transfer away? And that's kind of him making the resounding statement like, no, I'm coming back to Kansas. And I will say like, it has gotten a little ridiculous in college basketball that every single player has to have a, you know, I'm returning tweet or story or something. But I actually think that's how it should be now. Because think about it, with the transfer portal, with all these draft decisions, it almost becomes more difficult to figure out who's coming back than who's leaving. So I actually do appreciate um, when players do this nowadays. So with KJ Adams, you know, now that he is coming back, we did his deep dive um, a little bit ago. You look at him as being possible starter at the four if Jalen Wilson goes because if Jalen Wilson doesn't come back, they don't have a ton of great options there at the four. Who knows what they do in the transfer portal? Grady Dick is more of kind of a shooting guard type of wing. MJ Rice maybe has the build for it in terms of his strength and physicality, but he's still only 6'5". You don't necessarily want him playing the four. You want more of a guy who's you know a 6'7", 6'8", wing unless you're going to play too big basketball, which I don't know, could be a possibility. And I think Adams kind of profiles into that. And yes, you do maybe have worries about the offense or the, you know, what is he going to be as a shooter? But if you're playing him next to Zach Clements or Cam Martin or something, then it helps kind of um, ease off some of those concerns because of the fact that you can play him next to a shooter and he can basically offensively be the guy inside, maybe playing in the dunker spot or something like that, that it doesn't just mess up your, your spacing. But I think this is big that he's returning. I The, the key is going to be, can you get him to return another year after that? Because if he does come back this year, and let's say Jalen Wilson does come back, and K.J. Adams only plays 10 minutes per game off the bench because the role just isn't there this year, can you then convince him to come back another year? Because 
then that next year I think would really be the year. Like I, I view KJ Adams as by his junior year, like his junior year, he could be all Big 12 player. He could be a starter on this team, right? Whereas this year, he might be, but it kind of does just depend on on those personnel decisions from here on moving forward. So that's going to be the key there. But I do think the ceiling is high for a guy like KJ Adams. I said this before with his shooting. If he just becomes an average shooter, if he becomes Marcus Garrett shooting threes, you've got something real there. Because again, he can he can drive and get to the hoop. That was him in high school. Again, didn't really see it last year. Um, he can finish. He he's a pretty good passer for his position. He can play as a small ball five. He's strong as an ox inside. He's got solid length. Um, fights hard. Seems to know what he's doing. Is a team player. Makes extra passes. Good screener. Seals guys off. Like things like that. Just does a lot of little things for you to win basketball games, and. If he can add in that just even a little bit of a shooting as I mean, seriously, like uh, in terms of versatility defensively, he can guard one through five like that's That's not hyperbole. Like he actually can in college. He can guard one through five. If you have that versatility. In a bill self system and with a team that's going to be on a lot of nationally televised games and a lot of big games and get a lot of attention. If KJ Adams is here for his junior senior year, like there's no reason he couldn't be a legit candidate, if not winner, for a national defensive player of the year award. Like that that is how impactful he can be defensively. But you got to be on the court long enough offensively to win that award, which involves that three point shot. And then if you do become, you know, an, an okay three point shooter, or you are like a really good driver or something, and you can at least have something there offensively, then all of a sudden now we are talking, you know, this is an NBA guy at that point. So uh, I am very high on KJ. I'm excited to see him come back. I just, I don't totally know what the role is going to be for him this year since we don't have a complete look at the roster. I feel confident he's going to be in the rotation some way or another, but to what extent that remains to be seen, and will that be enough to keep him for the following season when he's a junior and in my eyes could really have that breakout year? That'll be kind of the uh, key there. All right, this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017. And 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We'll be right back after this timeout.